Yo, welcome to episode nine of Before, During and After. Today, I am joined by ex-professional rugby player James Marshall uh, from New Zealand. James is now owner of What A Lad podcast, producing some of the best podcast content in the rugby union game. Firstly, thanks for your time, bro. Um, if you can give a quick wrap on yourself and we'll get into it. Yes, yeah, sweet as. Firstly, thanks for having me on. Love your work. I know you're new into the game, but I listened to your Digby Yuani episode the other day. Really enjoyed it. So um, keep up the good work. Loving your work. So um, for those who don't know me, I am James Marshall. Uh, I was born in Auckland. Uh, grew up in Nelson, New Zealand, top of the South Island. Uh, my rugby career, I've played all around the world. Um, started with Tasman. Played in Italy with Aroni. A little bit for New Zealand Sevens, uh, the Hurricanes, Taranaki, London Irish, and then finished in Japan with the Coca-Cola Red Spark. So uh, I've played, been around and um, just recently retired with um, a hip injury, which had been uh, plaguing my career for quite a while, pretty much my whole career, but got worse through the latter half of it. But um, yeah, that pretty much sums up my career. Yeah, man. Well, what obviously we'll we'll touch on um, on this at the end. But what do you what do you now? Thirty two, thirty three years old, something like that. Yeah, I'm thirty two now. Yeah, yeah thirty two. So yeah, obviously a bit of a shame having to retire that young mate. But um, yeah, fuck. Well, uh, hopefully um, this all works out anyway. Obviously, mate. Yeah. Um, as I say to everyone, everyone's got a journey on how they make it um, to a professional. Um, I think you're probably the first um, guest I've had on from New Zealand. Um, it is. The, um, in my opinion, the best country in the world, obviously, to come out around rugby. Um, what's it like growing up in New Zealand? Like, what's the systems like? How did you get into it all? Obviously, uh, you see schoolboy rugby is absolutely massive over there. Um, yeah, what's yeah. it like going through that system, mate? Mate, schoolboy rugby's taken off like over even over the last sort of five years, it's really gone to another level. Um, working up at um, the Austin College at the moment with the, with the school up there. So um, just the professionalism these school guys have at a young age is pretty um, pretty incredible. So it's definitely gone to another strength over the last few years. But uh, when I was coming through, I sort of I didn't make any of the team, so I couldn't tell you too much. But, I mean, obviously I played with my brother a lot in the backyard. He, he's a professional rugby player also. Yeah. So me and him were just constantly playing in the backyard. Um, and yeah, I, I, like I remember, I remember at one moment in my career pretty vividly where I, um, I missed out on the under 16, a team at the college. And I, I'd always thought I was going to be a professional rugby player, even though I was crap. I don't know why I thought I'd still be able to be one, but it got to that point where I realized, mate, you're not really going to be a professional rugby player if you can't make be the top one of the top 30 kids at your school, you know? Um, so I remember that point vividly and I remember writing down a goal after that and saying, if I wasn't in the first 15, uh, by the end of school, uh, I'd give up on my rugby dreams. So um, I ended up just training really hard and uh, putting in a lot of effort. I remember sacrificing my Christmas present to go to the gym because I was always skinny. I was always small. All the coaches would always say, oh, you, you know, you're too small to ever play professional rugby, play, be a professional rugby player, that sort of thing. So um, that was what I did. And I just trained hard and I just sort of worked out that the more I was working and the more I was sacrificing, the more things started to happen and started to happen quicker and quicker. And a couple of years out of school, I was um, playing for Tasman. So 
yeah. it was a pretty cool um, journey, but um, yeah, it's not definitely not your traditional one because yeah, like I said, I wasn't that good. I didn't make the um, New Zealand schools or any any of those teams. Yeah. So but was, just with schoolboy rugby, like do, like back home, I remember like when I like obviously I've never played at a level like you guys, but like school rugby was massive. Like when you'd get to your sixth form, your eleven and twelve, like everyone would want mm-hmm. to play for the first fifteen. Um, it'd be blazer shirt and tie at our school like we went to a traditional rugby school but then by the time I was leaving school nobody was bothering playing school rugby everyone was just going to play for their club or we'd have to play school in the morning and club in the afternoon but from my understanding boys would rather be playing for their school first 15 than their club is that is that right over in New Zealand yeah I'd say schoolboy rugby now is bigger than club rugby I mean club rugby well and Nelson in particular, it's pretty, some of the teams are really struggling with numbers and stuff um, for whatever reason. But um, school rugby seems, even talking to a lot of the guys, school rugby was some of their best memories that they have playing rugby. And um, some of the traditional schools have some really good setups, really good traditional games that they, they have like massive crowds and all yeah. the school kids on the bank and things like that. So there's some pretty, pretty impressive occasions for these kids to be playing it and, when you're at school, I mean, you're sort of the, when you're the first, in the first 15, you're sort of like the heroes of the yeah, school, you know. I can imagine it's like um, being the um, the American football player over in, in the in the colleges in America, you know. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. I think it might even be a little bit more over there, like they look next level, but it's probably the closest thing you get yeah. um, in New Zealand as being, you know, first 15 player in a rugby school, yeah. Yeah. So you said I was didn't take the traditional pathway, obviously making all the rep teams, 16s, 18s and stuff. So what age did you would you, did you get a start in, in like an academy or, or did you go from club and get picked up ITM Cup, sort of that route? Or So my last year at school, I ended up making the – Tasman rep team which was the f- sort of first rep team that I'd made and um, had a pretty good tournament with them and then made some New Zealand under 19 camps which was awesome and it really made me think that I wasn't as far away as I initially thought Yeah. and then obviously once I left school I made um, the Tasman Academy so I was in that, in that for a year and then um, the following year I got selected in the squad which was, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, perfect. So, how about you, thirty-two? Who was in your like nineteens, um, twenties? Who, who was around around you? Um, so we had um, like the Ryan Crotties, um, Matt Todd, John Hardys, um, Ash Dixon, uh, Aaron Smith. Uh, yeah. Oh, was, when you go when you go through the team, there's so many guys like the Shaw Maitlands, K Pookies. Um, there's Sam Whitelock. Yeah. List, I, I was only asking. We had like, um, so many players. We had a. I had a friend, obviously, that left school in Wales and came over to New Zealand. Um, I think he'd be a year younger than you, but he 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 went through all the age. He ended playing World Cup twenties. Um, oh yeah, yeah, for New Zealand, yeah. But then, um, yeah, I knock, knock it on the head. Um, he had a couple of concussions, but um, yeah, I didn't know if you oh. were around the same age as him. Reese Llewellyn, I think he was playing for the Crusaders. Oh, yeah, it might have been the year yeah. after, maybe. Yeah, I think he was a year after you. He was a year after. So then, obviously, yeah, like you said, mate, um, you made a couple of the age grades. You realised, obviously, I'm assuming 18, 19, that, you know, professional was a realistic goal for yourself. When we, when did you sign your first contract? Yeah, so I signed my first contract. I remember it because it was a $1,000. 
And I remember thinking, oh, this is awesome. $1,000 <laughs> what, for the year? <laughs> for the whole year. <laughs> I, was, I was straight out of school. And I just remember saying, oh, like, can I claim that I'm a professional rugby fan now? Like, this is, I'm getting paid to, to play. Like, even though it was like. Change the bio straight away on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah, professional rugby player, 18. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, yeah, straight out of school I got, I signed that. And then the following year, I obviously, I think the minimum was 15,000 when you uh, make your first um, squad. So, yeah, it wasn't huge money, but um um, it was a step and foot in the, in the right door, direction. which I was yeah. just absolutely yeah. peaking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 like I said, obviously, like the competition that it must be like to get it to get a contract over in New Zealand. Like obviously, you have all of the all of the Kiwi boys, and then obviously all of the Polynesians that are brought in at a young age. You know, and and it is it's got to be the strongest comp, like club rugby, school rugby, but be the hardest pathway I think to find a professional contract. You know. Yeah, I, like I always thought, because I was in Nelson and I always thought whenever we played in another team from Wellington or Christchurch, I always just looked around and thought, man, there's just so many good players in this yeah. country. And like I was I was not even one of the better players in the Nelson side. And I used to think, oh, this is like, it's going to be so hard to make a career out of this. But I'm um, obviously Tasman formed, which sort of gave a pathway into the professional, um, into professional rugby locally. So that had only formed like a couple of years before I left school. So um, there was a real pathway created for me. And like, if that team hadn't started, like, who knows where I would have ended up, whether I would have had a professional rugby contract or career or not. I don't. I wouldn't know. Yeah, so you obviously played a bit of 10, 12 and, and fullback. Is that right? Yeah, I started off mainly 10 then, um, mainly fullback towards the latter half of my career and uh, – the odd game at 12, but I wouldn't call myself a 12. Yeah, no. I played 12 last year. You called me the turnstile at the end of the year, so quick, <laughs> quick, quick, quickly moved out of that life. Um, yeah, and then obviously you went from Tasman and you had a, a, your first spell overseas. How do you find that? Yeah, so I, yeah, that was awesome. Like, um, went over to Italy. Uh, it was a six-month contract. I missed out on a super gig and um, opportunity came up and, uh, didn't know much about it and we're on the plane I took my uh, my girlfriend at the time but now wife we'd only been together for a couple of months so it was a bit of a um, yeah. sink or swim over there and um, I knew if we lasted the six months she'd probably be my wife <laughs> later on so that all worked out well and um, that was an awesome experience like learned so much Play, you're playing we were playing against um, some of the best players in the world I remember my first game like we were playing Scarlets and I knew heaps of the heaps of the players on the field and obviously the week after it was like Brian O'Driscoll and guys like this and I was like a, I think I was yeah. 19 or 20 at the time and thinking holy heck like um, this is pretty crazy I was playing for an Italian team so at 10 so it was pretty hard yeah um, I was gonna say how did what was the language barrier like how many imported players did they have and that sort of uh, we had Nick, Nick Williams at the time at number eight and um, that was that was about it to be fair like we didn't have a huge amount yeah. um and yeah I, like to be fair I really struggled with the language um and just the playing style I guess because I was uh I guess a pretty loose playing 10 like like to play what I see and um yeah. couldn't really worry about consequences sort of things and 
Um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was the traditional Italian way. Some of the forwards would blow up at me, even though I wouldn't know what they're saying. But yeah. um, you could get from body language that they weren't <laughs> impressed with some of my decisions. But a voice. Um, you learn <laughs> you learn pretty quick over there. And um, I def- I definitely learned a lot from it. So it was it was cool to do that and then come back. Yeah, like you said, you obviously you what were you 19, you said when you went over there. So to play what do, what comp would it have been then? It wasn't the Pro 14, was it? It was um we were playing in the Heineken Cup, which oh, was, yeah, um, yeah. was out of it. Yeah. And then it was the it was the um it wasn't called the Pro 14, but it was whatever. Same that, comp. It yeah, was that yeah. Comp. I can't try yeah. to think what it was. Heineken Cup was massive back then when it? it was huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And then so when you came back then, um you had a movie, didn't go back to Tasman, did you go Taranaki, was it? No, I did I did a couple more years in Tasman and then um the opportunity at the Hurricanes came up for a wider squad. So to, to take that wider squad, I had to move up to Taranaki, which was um, like a no-brainer for me at the time because obviously trying to progress my career, the, a foot in the door at the Hurricanes, a team I was obsessed with growing up, um, was a bit of a dream come true. So, um, yeah, made that move up to Taranaki with the Hurricanes at the same time. So how long were you playing for Taranaki before you obviously the wider training squad i'm assuming if you're a fringe player then you were still playing for taranaki obviously when you weren't involved in the in the squad for hurricanes yes so i went to the hurricanes first um i was wider squad for their pre-season it was only pre-season at the time and then um once the pre-season had finished i was to taranaki playing club rugby and um yeah waiting pretty much for that next npc season yeah, and then he, but you were with the Hurricanes then like full time for three years, was it three years? Um, after that season, I did get a full full contract, and I I'm not sure it might have been yeah three or four years before we made the move, and then a couple more at the end. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, as you touched on there, I guess before we go to overseas, how was how was your time with the Hurricanes? Obviously, like you you just mentioned, um, it was a you know a, a dream when you were a youngster to to, to get there, like. Do you remember making your debut? Um, not not that well, to be honest. I because my debut is it always says on the board that it was against the Crusaders, but I don't really remember the Crusaders game as my debut. I must have just got a few minutes off the bench, you know, one of those ones where you don't really do much. So um, I, the game I do remember is my first start, which was against the Highlanders down in Foresight Bar, and I just remember running out. 15 jersey um on and just thinking wow this like the zoo was going the crowd was hissing and that stadium's unreal it really captures all the noise and the atmosphere in the stadium and just remember looking around thinking wow this is like next level and um yeah didn't have didn't have a great game to be fair made a few mistakes and um was dropped the following week so it wasn't a great debut but um it was a it was a cool experience i loved it yeah Oh, mate, and I guess when you're running out there, you think of all the sacrifices that you've made through those years as a young fella, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, you, you, you live in your dream. Yeah, you may have got dropped, but um, you're getting dropped from Super Rugby. Uh, a lot of boys <laughs> are getting dropped from playing for their club seconds, do you know I mean? So <laughs> it, could be, it could be a bit worse. Like. Yeah, 100%. And I, I remember, like, Conrad speaking to me after the game. He, he said that he thought I played well, and just – Someone like that having those words to me after the game was like was that Conrad Smith? Cool. Conrad Smith, and it yeah. made, made me really feel a bit more at ease at that level. And even though I wasn't picked the following week, I I felt like I 
if I was given another opportunity, I'd be ready to go again if I was yeah, given yeah. it. So yeah, um, oh, you can imagine the nerves, and, the nerves and stuff. Obviously, yeah, would have played a big factor in it. And yeah, so who was playing ten and fifteen at the time? Who was the competition there? Um, Bowden Barrett was the mm. ten, pretty much from when I we. He was in the full squad, my widest squad. So um, we pretty much went through the um, the whole my whole career there with him. So he was always at ten and a hard man to get out of the ten jersey. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that sort of inspired the move to fullback for me. Just it was a more realistic um, chance for me to get some game time and just the way we were playing with um, the double pivot sort of two sided attack. Um, it sort of suited the way that I played. So. Um, yeah. We worked pretty well together for a while there, so um, it's yeah, it ended up playing in my favour. Yeah, so that was the kind of the role that you went. You just went as a as a, a second a second half, I guess. Yeah, me and Bodie would pretty much play one side of the, the um, rack each. So um, I'd try and get on the blind side and be that first receiver, and then um, would pretty much have two tens playing uh, and just different setup on. Um, launches but other than that we were pretty I was pretty much playing a 10 with um just a different role on D really yeah so did you, you said you obviously went to the rider Scotties and the full Scott so you probably you had a bit of healthy competition just from him pushing each other week in week out um yeah from the time you joined the Hurricanes oh mate yeah not just him like the competition everywhere in that squad was just next level like um, there's so many quality players and you look around and you're just always getting pushed. You always, you always felt like you had to work really hard to get anywhere. So, um, yeah. Oh yeah, I think that sort of competition brings the best out of people. And, um, that's why you see so many successful players come out of, um, yeah. I guess the New Zealand franchises. hundred percent. Um, obviously, yeah. Then you, you did decide to, to move back overseas. Where did you go? London, Irish, eh? Yeah, I went to London Irish, so um, I sort of decided that after we lost our 2015 final, I just played pretty much the whole season at fullback there, and yeah. uh, I just felt like it was one of those years where things were working for me, and uh, I was ended up getting some game time ahead of, you know, All Blacks. So we had Julian Savier, um, Nehi Milner-Scudder, um, Corey Jane, all in the squad and um, somehow I was, still managed, I was still managing to start at 15, which in my head I didn't think was going to be sustainable, to be honest. I thought uh, 2015 was probably going to be the height of my career, um, getting all that game time. But um, as it worked out, so I, I sort of thought, I was always keen to do an overseas experience, but I wanted, I knew I wanted to leave um, sort of at, at the peak, so before yeah. sort of dropping down. So um, I did, me and my wife, my wife's English, so um, she's got a lot of family over there. So um, we decided to move over to England, London Irish, and um, turned out the following year, I kept that starting spot for the whole year as well, and we ended up winning Super Rugby. So yeah. um, it was pretty. It was a pretty surreal uh, ending to my Canes career, but um, and it didn't really go that smoothly with London Irish because they ended up getting relegated. So I was going over to the championship. And I, to be honest, I tried to get out of that contract. Like once we won that competition, uh, the owners came up to me and said they'd match um, whatever London Irish were paying me to stay. So, um, 
yeah, it was a big decision for us. Like, yeah, uh, I Couldn't ended up trying to ring the, I rang the CEO, um, Bob Casey. I remember it, man. I was so nervous. Like, I rang him up and said, um, Bob, I'm, I'm not going to come. Like, I can't come. Like, I use the kids or family and stuff. Uh, tried to do the whole, the whole sale, but he's like, mate, you're coming, and there's no two ways about it, or else we'll take legal action. I was like. All right, I'll see. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I was just, yeah, I was just on the plane, and uh, we never really spoke about it other than that. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was worth a shot. But um, yeah. obviously, no regrets. Loved my time over in London. Uh, it was such a cool, cool experience. And so, was it just you and like the wife? Every, or yeah, no, we time? had a, we we had our first child at this age, so he was six months, and that was sort of the it was sort of the line that we were, I was trying to go down to Bob, but <laughs> turns out he, he left London Irish um, the following year. Cause he said it was uh, his, his, he needed some more family support too. So oh, yeah, yeah. The, the irony, but yeah, um, no, it was, it was a nerve, nerve wracking phone call. I remember that one. And um, yeah, like I said, no regrets. Like so with everything in my rugby career, like um, sometimes it doesn't actually go to plan, but man, they're all such cool experiences. You meet so many cool people along the way. And um, some of the people that I met over in, at, in London were just um, some absolute lads. So I've managed to get on the podcast and um, things like that. So it's been as my whole, I've just enjoyed the whole journey to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, obviously, I guess there's a bit of a, what if there, if Matt, if you did stay with the, with the hurricanes, but mate, everything happens. You said he went over. So you, you were playing in the championship as well. Yeah, so the first year was championship. So we went. I went from playing at a sold out um, Westpac Stadium to our first game was Bedford away, which is like oh, yeah. the slopiest pitch you'll ever play on. It's like a it's half a hill. It's crazy, and I just and there's about probably two hundred people in the crowd. I just yeah. think, look, looking. But how did you find it? Like I know New yeah. Zealand's obviously not like Australia, where it's sunny all the time. It's a lot nicer. Like obviously, I moved. I moved over to Australia from Wales five and a half years ago. I came over here to play for six months. I never left. Um, like what <laughs> did how, did you in, like? It's a big change in it. Like you you go to work, it's dark. You finish work, it's dark. The weather's always cold, rainy. How did how did you find it? Yeah, well, initially I was surprised at how hot it was. So we obviously went over there in summer, arrived oh. in summer, and I never really pictured England or London being as as being hot. So what was it seventeen degrees? That we like, <laughs> was actually like thirty something. We were struggling to sleep. Like yeah. the houses were obviously not equipped for that sort of heat. Might have been some sort of heat wave or something. But I remember thinking, "Wow, this is like um, next level." Oh shit. All good. Are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I lost your screen. Sweet. Yeah. Where was I? <laughs> Hopefully you can edit this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can't see you. Oh, really? Hang on.
So what, it was around it, when he went over. It was a bit of a heat wave, thirties. Yeah, it was. It would have been about. It would have been mid thirties, I reckon. And I remember our son having to sleep with nothing on him, and um, it was just so hot. We had to go buy a fan, and there was a shortage of fans around, so had to borrow a fan from the club. And that was our first, my first sort of memory from the um, UK weather. Obviously, it didn't stay like that. It ended up getting, um, like you say, pretty bad. And the thing that used to amaze me was how dark it got how early it got dark, you know, and yeah. remember like being in the kitchen, starting to cook dinner and it's like four o'clock thinking, Oh shit. Yeah. It felt like, like seven or eight. And you're just like, Holy heck, it's just next level. How dark it got. Yeah. But, uh, and, and then when you go into training, it's dark. By the time you get home, it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Makes well, it feel like a real long day. Yeah. Were you living like set close? Where were you living in London? Like quite central or. I was in Teddington. So. And we were training in Sunbury, so we were about I was about fifteen minutes from there, and um, close to I think it was a reasonable. I think it was about a forty-minute train into central London, so yeah. um, it was a real cool spot. We we really enjoyed we really enjoyed living there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've never lived in the city myself, but everyone says the London life's pretty pretty good. Like, um, obviously, mm. then you said you were in the championship one year. Did you get promotion straight back up, or did you leave after the year? No, yeah, we got promoted, so we did an, a year in um, the Premiership, which was awesome. Love that. It was cool to test, where, see where we're at against the um, the big teams of the English Premiership. And we won our first game against the Harlequins at Twickenham, and that was a, probably the most memorable game I had over there. Yeah. Um, and I remember the team sort of thinking that, okay, this could be our year, and we, we're going to go right here. But that was probably... That was pretty much the only win of the season and Those ended up getting relegated. So that yeah. was short-lived, hey? Yeah, you got relegated again. Yeah, so we got relegated again and um, I had another year on my contract, which this time they allowed me <laughs> to get out of it. So oh, the kid, <laughs> I didn't no, serious now, mate. The, the kids have got to go home. The kids have got to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got to go this time. <laughs> so I got a contract in Japan, which linked up with the Hurricanes. So managed to, it was pretty uh, good deal to get out of there and um, experience Japan and get back to some rugby that I missed playing, I guess, at the Hurricanes. So you went Japan first and then came back. Yeah. Well, just we'll just touch on it quick. What's Japan like? Like, it's it's awesome. We yeah. loved it, but like I've talked it up to a lot of guys who have gone over there this year and haven't had the same experience. Obviously, yeah. COVID, um, and I think just the level has gone up another gear. But uh, when we got there, the team's semi-professional, so the guys are working through the day, which. Gave me heaps of time with the family throughout the day. We're training before, like before nine, and then after, like from four to six or something. So yeah. it was pretty cruisy hours, and um, we like we loved it. Like the family loved it. Everyone enjoyed it. Heaps of new things to experience, and um, just a whole different culture. It was it was yeah. really cool. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was gonna say, and that like you said, the standards pretty. They're signing a lot of big names now. But when he went over, it was Still a good comp, was it? But you know, you'd have a couple of imports that would 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 you know the, whoever the better better imports would win the comp. I'm assuming was it that sort of comp? Yeah, that that is it. That was it, and that still is it. Um, the bit the teams who spend the most are getting the best results, and um, I mean, we our team sort of signed 
we mainly had battlers, so we were all um, we were always down the bottom. I think I went because we got relegated that year too. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the fir- first player to get relegated twice in one year. And I think my winning percentage was like would have been about three percent. I reckon it was shocking. I won like two games out of the whole two comps. It was it was a de- pretty depressing year in terms of performance, but. Um, experience enjoyable. wise, yeah, enjoyable yeah, and good experience, yeah. yeah. Obviously, um, yeah, and then and then it was time to come home. So, what you've been on, um, what 2018 is it? 2000, no, oh, last year, last year, uh, uh, two years. So, I came back for two years, and the first first season back wasn't too successful. First game, um, pretty much five two minutes into the game on my return, came off the bench, and Carmichael Hunt ran a straight straight at me off the line out and dislocated my shoulder. And that was the most painful injury that I had. It took like four hours to try and get that shoulder oh, back in. and Just wouldn't go back in. I um, ended up having to get to pit to get put to sleep to get it in. And it was, yeah, it wasn't quite the return that I pictured, but thankfully I didn't need surgery. So I ended up getting back for the last three or four games that season and ended up playing in the semi-final off the bench, which was awesome occasion against Crusaders so um there's still some highlights but definitely the return didn't go to plan yeah yeah and then and then obviously um that as you we touched on right at the beginning the hip injury came in mate um that's how you started what a lad um you were taking a bit of time to rehab um wanted to obviously keep busy um in the training times you had this idea um is that the reason behind what a lad how it started yeah, sort of. So I was, I'd been thinking about a podcast for a while, but um, just the classic things of fearing failure and fearing of being judged would always creep in whenever I got mm. too serious about it. So um, I'd been doing the sort of info committee, which a lot of my pranks and stuff on the podcast have just come from that. So we used to have to do an audio recording. Um, we would play a uh, 10 to 15 minute audio piece for the boys on an away trip. So I got quite good at sort of recording stuff and editing it and uh, making all these segments and um, doing pranks on the boys and things like that. So I'd already sort of um, had some sort of experience in there. And I thought if I could um, do something similar um, in a wider audience with a podcast, it could, could go all right. And I knew I had access to some of the best, guys that I'd met throughout my career and um, they were all when I sort of talked about it a lot of guys said they'd be keen to jump on and um, sort of gave me confidence to just jump in there and do it and um, yeah just sort of forget about or just not worry about failing and um, yeah all that sort of stuff listen to a few podcasts and I was like man this is this is time like just do it and if it fails I kept all the receipt for my gear receipts for my gear just in case I was going to send it back or sell it because if yeah. it didn't go well, like I just remember thinking, oh, who cares? Like you can delete it and um, move yeah. on to something else if it doesn't yeah, exactly. work. So. No one's going to remember it in six months' time anyway, you know? Obviously, yeah, what, a lad is, what a lad is going really well. Like um, we touched on it uh, off screen. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you've been consistent doing it for a year now, just over a year. Um, yeah, you've had some great guests, some great listens, but you're, you're enjoying it as well, you know? And, What's what's the long term goal with it all? Yeah, I'm not too sure to be honest. Like it was something that I never really sat down and made a real plan about. I just sort of started doing it, and 
made real small goals at a time. Um, first goal, I heard that the average podcast doesn't go past seven episodes. So that was the first goal to get past seven. I see you're on eight now. So well done. You're, you're on fire. Yeah. yeah. And then the next thing <laughs> was just to try and um, keep, I, at the time I was doing um, Monday, Friday. So my goal was for the rest of the season to, or until I, until my rehab was over to do two episodes a week. So um, that became pretty tough to sort of get both episodes in a week, but um, ended up doing it and um, yeah, loved it. So it's been just been awesome to connect with some guys and, um, you definitely have a better conversation over a podcast than you would if you were just catching up with someone. So yeah, you get exactly. to know heaps about people and um, I've learned heaps from it, learned heaps about guys. Um, I'm doing some coaching now with Tasman. So I feel like I've learned heaps about um, what people find in, in a good coach and what makes players tick and things like that. So I feel like it's been really um, beneficial for me, but also people listening, like they get to learn or get an insight into these guys who, when they're in the media, they never really be themselves. And that's always something that frustrated me, seeing these guys really closed off when they were speaking to the public or the media. So, yeah. Do, I do you to think have a, like, um, a lot of people are buying into it now? Like players are, are building a brand. They, they see the importance of building a brand in themselves and obviously leveraging off it while they're playing. You know, you used to see the odd player would, you know, they'd get a, a sponsorship deal from some free protein or something, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and they do the odd post, but it's changing so much now, you know, people are building massive brands whilst they, whilst they're playing, you know, and, they, and they, that's how they should leverage it. hundred percent. And it's only going to get better. I, some guys are better than others. I mean, Adi Savir is probably leading the way in New Zealand with it. Yeah. TJ's not far behind. Like these two guys are really using their brand well and they've built both built some really good, a really good platform to work off from now. So um, they're sort of setting the example in New Zealand. And I think it's just going to continue as, I mean, as social media and everything grows, um, it's just going to be more and more, there's going to be more and more of it. And I feel like got like some guys are starting to reach out to me, wanting to come on the podcast because they know that it's going to um, grow their brand a little bit. So mate, as soon as that starts happening, that's happy days for me because yeah. Um, saves me chasing guys. Yeah, saves you chasing the same message, same message. Um, Getting left on double ticks for a few weeks. Yeah. Oh, and then when it goes really well, then they message you back. Oh, sorry, I've only just seen this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, so like, um, yeah, like you touched on there, obviously people leveraging it. Like, so what a lad, you know, there's no actual plans for it. You said obviously with at the beginning of the podcast, you were coaching in Nelson as well. So you're doing a bit in the schools and a bit of Tasman or. Yeah. So I've been working up at Nelson college with just a year 10 under, Oh, I think they're under 15 uh, rugby class. So these yeah. guys have rugby as a subject, which is sort of what I was talking about, like how professional some of these guys are. I've got, I've got four periods a week with these guys, four hours a week teaching the 14 year olds, how to play rugby. So it's, it's been pretty cool. But um, now that uh, the, Bunnings Cup or whatever it's called now, the MPC is about to start. I'm gonna. I'm one of the assistant coaches with Tasman this year, so I'll be going into that um, full time for the next three months. And yeah, I'm hoping to still continue at least a podcast a week, or I'm trying to bank up a few over the next few weeks leading up to it, so I don't have to do too many um, in season. But um, that's the goal to be able to keep it going. And but obviously the main focus is going to be 
um, winning a, another premiership for yeah. Tasman this season. Do, do you, um, this is just me because um, I've started doing a bit of, do you think you'll do it? You'll try and get a bit of what a lad content in around the ground, like around the training, all that sort of stuff, or are you going to try and keep coaching and what a lad separate? Um, I'll probably won't be doing like around the ground sort of stuff. I mean, the social media team for Tasman's asked to have a word and sort of do a little bit there, but um, I'll still try and interview some some of the Tasman guys on yeah. Water Lad, but I won't be um, nah, f- I won't be doing but, backstage yeah. stuff. stuff of, yeah, um, yeah, nah. Like my my pre- my coaching presentations with my Instagram stories go. <laughs> I don't think that'd go down too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I understand. Yeah, because you, you obviously like um you seen like um Peter Breen is it um rugby bricks. Like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you see you see sort of that stuff you know and obviously yourself being a ten you know you could probably leverage it that way a little bit as well but I guess when you're coaching a professional team you can't really put it on your brand as well you know yeah now yeah I think I'll leave that to Peter Breen he he does a bloody good <laughs> oh, job with that mate, yeah it kills it eh? um, I'll try and just keep to keep to finding some good lads some, to come some on good and stories, some stories. good stories um yeah like um. I guess I, I covered on a, a fair bit of what I wanted there. Like, um, I guess with the with the coaching side of things, really, like, is that something you can see yourself going down a route? Like, is that a goal of yours, realistically? Mate, it was, like, always my passion, and I always felt like I was more of a coach than a player, even when I was playing. Like, yeah. um, even, when like, when I was at fullback at the Canes, I genuinely – felt like more of a coach in the backfield sort of barking instructions and um, telling like guys like Bodie what, what I'm saying and things like that. And um, just rem- I always felt like coaching was probably more my calling than playing. I was never really built to play, but um, ended up making a reasonable career out of it, which was pretty cool. But I did say to my wife, because um, we'd moved around so many times, I think we moved like 16 times, 16 different houses. And I was, it was wow. like I said to her that once we fin- once I finished my rugby career, I wouldn't chase my coaching dream because obviously coaching, you're not in one spot really. You're, you're having to move again. And um, even last year um, when we first we decided to move back to Nelson or we're out of Mapua, but um, we settled down, we bought a house, got the kids all settled, and then the Hurricanes actually called saying that um, they wanted me as an as a backs coach for this season. So straight away I was tested and um, it was a really tough decision. I, I didn't expect that. And um, I ended up, we had a, our third child due around the same time and it just wasn't going to work. So it was a real tough decision to have to yeah, turn that well. down um, early, but I'm very grateful for Tasman for picking me up and um, giving me a coaching role where I'm living. living and that, yeah. was, that was always the and like if I could get a gig where I was living or where the family decided to settle, then perfect. But um, if not, then I wasn't going to move the family around um, chasing coaching dreams. But in saying that, if a massive yen coaching gig came up in Japan, then I'd have yeah. <laughs> to do that for a six-month gig for sure. We'll start sharing this around all the Japanese clubs when, <laughs> when, when, when it's done. But Just oh, mate. clip that little bit. <laughs> get it yeah it, but like even to get that offer from hurricanes obviously you've been there for a long period of time they've obviously picked up um obviously your um 
your coaching skills simply through being a player. Obviously, I'm assuming they knew that you wanted to go down that coaching route as well. But yeah, it must have been hard to turn that down. Yeah, so there's actually a moment when, because um, so when I'd had my hip surgery, Carlos Spencer left the Hurricanes after COVID. So um, Jason Holland, the Hurricanes coach, asked me if I could take over Carlos's role um, for the rest of the season, which was like sort of six more weeks. So I ended up taking like the back strikes and just a few skills and things, nothing too major, but it was a real instant step into the coaching environment from going one week being a player down in the players' um, changing room to up in the coach's office. So it was a real quick transition, but um, it always felt pretty natural for me and it was something that I did really enjoy. Yeah, I was going to say like how how did like the boys buy into it pretty quick, but I guess like when you – like even at like a lower grades, you, you have those players that do pretty much take over the coaching and you sound like one of them. So the boys don't really see it any different, I guess, do they? Like... Yeah, I think there was quite a strong push from some of the players to get me involved in there. So that obviously made me a lot more comfortable and um, they all really respected me. And I, I felt like that was easier going from... Um, playing to coaching with the Hurricanes because I knew all the guys, they all knew me, they all sort of respected my, my decisions and um, what what I would say. But then coming down to Tasman the following year, I felt like I had to sort of earn that respect again with all the um, guys that I hadn't met before. They were all sort of crusader guys who do things a little bit differently. So um, I felt like last year was just a year for me to sort of observe and um, see how everything does and looking forward to having a bit more of a role this year with them. Yeah. Who's head coach there this year? A- Andrew Goodman's the head coach. So he's also an assistant at the Crusaders and he's a bloody, he's a bloody good coach. And um, yeah, lo- learned a lot off him last year and um, looking to learn heaps off him again this yeah, year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good, um, like I do a fair bit of coaching and it, it's a, you get a good buzz off it. Like it's, it's a fair bit of work involved, obviously, but like you're always learning. I think like you're always learning something. Obviously, it's not just you're not just going in and taking drills. Do you mean like you've got to get the best out of the players as well? It's like draw and and that's something you've got to learn as a coach as well. Um, yeah, yeah. There's so there's so much to it, and it's one of those jobs where you can really never stop working. There's always something that you can do. You can always look at more footage or um, do more planning or talk to players. It's just like one of those jobs you just got to. I feel like you've just got to find a, a balance in it whereas you know how much you need to do and um, try not to overdo it because it is one of those jobs where you could just work all day, all night yeah. and um, never never be happy. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you, just last thing, mate, do, like, do, are you, obviously it sounds like you're, I mean, you, like not finishing on your own terms there with the, with the play and do you find it a little bit tough being around the boys still? With the coaching role, or are you pretty happy? You've done, you've gone out. You you know you've done what you needed to do in your career. Like you exceeded, I guess, what you you were expecting at a, at a younger age. Or yeah, mate, hundred percent. Like everyone sort of said that the period when you retire is really hard. But like honestly, I haven't struggled with it at all. And I feel like maybe still being connected with the boys has sort of helped that transition. I still feel like I get that. Um, banter with the boys and that sort of thing that a lot of guys miss. Um, I was playing in pain for the last sort of three years and it was really driving my love for the playing the game to the lowest that could be. And 
Um, like, honestly, I don't miss playing at all. Like, um, really enjoying what I'm doing. I'm doing, I remember when I, um, after my surgery, I wrote down three things that I wanted to potentially look to do post rugby. And one was coach. One was work with young kids was, I was thinking some sort of academy or something. And yeah. one was doing the podcast and, um, pretty much straight away, all three of those sort of happened. And it's just been pretty, like, I guess I've been pretty lucky with how the transitions happened, but, um, now I'm at the point where all three are looking to grow. Like they want me to do more at college. They want me to do more at Tasman and the podcast is growing pretty rapidly. So um, something's going to have to give and it's a pretty good position to be in where I yeah. think I'll get to choose the one that I'm enjoying the most and um, just continue that. But yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I, I, yeah, like I said, I don't miss, don't miss playing the game at all. I've, I have, I did exceed my expectations in my career and um, even post-career I've exceeded them um pretty much already as well yeah we get getting a coaching gig um obviously offers at such a high level I know you've stepped into it um like for, for temp for those six weeks but then yeah you've got a gig pretty much straight out of it playing straight away so yeah um it's a, it's a pretty good note to get in there a foot in the door and mm-hmm. and obviously at such a young age still you, you've got a a lot of time to you'd be coaching the Kiwis within three four years now <laughs> <laughs> not sure about that one that's a, that's a boys club there hey, you'd have to coach wales before you coach, coach new zealand anyway <laughs> that's what most of them do don't they yeah. start over there yeah start over there and then uh, finish at the top yeah now nah, mate um thanks heaps for coming on like uh, really enjoyed chatting with you um a, a great journey um hopefully um yeah it'll keep you'll keep growing mate and um yeah looking forward to to linking up and, and watching it grow hey cheers mate likewise to you like like i said at the start really enjoying what you're doing and i know it's early days for you and um it will take time but uh, you keep keep consistent and um, good things will happen so love your work yeah, cheers bro thanks hey guys um if you're still listening big thanks i hope you enjoyed this podcast is brought to you by goosey sports for all of your team wear needs um please like share and spread the word about this podcast so we can keep it going and keep growing. Thanks again. Bye.